Find your maze tattoo, update your conspiracy board, and get ready to weather the storm with us as we return to Haven. This is Troubled, the self-proclaimed number one Haven rewatch podcast. Debuting back in 2010 as a sci-fi channel original show, Haven stars Emily Rose, Lucas Bryan, and Eric Balfour as they take on a different curse every week while trying to solve the mysteries of Haven. I'm your first host, Alex French. And I'm your co-host, Rich French, the French that hates Texas Hill Country mountain cedar pollen. It's no <laughs> joke. <laughs> uh, so we're back with season two. Took a little took a little tiny break, but we're back and uh, we're going to continue. We're covering episode one of season two, A Tale of Two Audrey's. As like every episode, uh, we're keeping this the same. No drastic change in format. We're going to just summarize the episode real quick for those who aren't watching, which might be a bigger group now that uh, Netflix has removed Haven and we haven't heard of where they're moving to yet. All right. So this episode begins like literally the second, uh, the finale of season one, episode 13, Spiral ended, right? It ended with that FBI agent showing up and being like, I'm Audrey Parker as well. So we kind of pick up right where we left off, right? With them pointing their guns at each other and trying to figure out this miss, this new mystery. Exactly. And eventually uh, our Audrey tells the new, gets the new Audrey to uh, drop her weapon. So they're, they're going to kind of take her away. Meanwhile, <clears throat> Duke goes to, or Audrey's like, how do you know, before I jump to that, Audrey's like, how do you know any of this is like, isn't crazy? And he's like, ah, come on, whatever. Like, it's a trouble. Who knows what's going on? Let's go get, let's, you know, do you want to go eat or something? And she's, and, you know, she's still a little worried. But uh, uh, meanwhile, the Rev has called Duke to like, a, to meet with him to talk about the future of Haven, right? Similar to kind of how things went with when he confronted Nathan in the chief's former, former chief's office. Exactly. Uh, the Rev was close with Duke's father and he would like Duke to kind of fill the role his father, father had. Right. There's a little kid reaching into a storm drain in reference to another Stephen King story. And uh, he starts screaming. They kind of pull his arm out and his arm is covered in blood, but it's not a wound. We see the water is turning the blood as sprinklers turn on blood starts spraying everywhere and we've got a we got a biblical plague on our hands i guess we don't know that yet wow we well it's a biblical it's the first of a biblical plague we can say it because <laughs> the next one is audrey and uh, nathan you know god what did they call her on the on the commentary uh the creators call her fraudry right so they got fraudry handcuffed in the back and they're about to take her when it starts raining frogs, uh, similar to when it rained birds and consumed uh, frogs flying everywhere, smashing into cars. I got to jump in. So I think uh, we got the hint that we're in a biblical situation here. There's like a car crash afterwards, right? They're kind of trying to take they're trying to take Fraudry to the station when uh, they encounter a car accident. Well, exactly. They see a, a swarm and then they kind of follow the direction of the swarm. And that's where they hear hear a car crash. Well, when they get when they get to the car crash, they realize that uh, one of the drivers has up and ran away from the scene, and one of the officers figures out why because he finds a bunch of a six pack of tall boys and <laughs> uh, partially drank tall boys. So our hit and run driver was uh, doing a little partying. Right. So as they're investigating, they pull somebody out of the other car and uh, they got to perform CPR on them because they might be injured. And as we see. Fraudry starts doing CPR, you know, after she convinces Audrey to unhandcuff her, she's doing the CPR just the exact way Audrey would. And she's like, oh, well, where'd you learn how to do that CPR? Yeah. Campfire girls. Exactly. So they both know how to do CPR from campfire girls, which is even more mysterious with our second Audrey. 
uh, Duke shows up, right? Yeah, he, he shows up and he tells him about the blood at the church before he can get any further in it. Uh, he spots a woman in the crowd who he apparently knows because it freaks him out when he sees her. So he splits. Yeah. And then uh, flies kind of burst out of a pipe, right? Or something like that. Yeah. Out of a, I think they burst out of a cannon and uh, somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but not a tailpipe. Uh, Audrey calls Agent Howard to tell her, hey, did you send another FBI agent? He's like, no, hold her prisoner until I get there. We're going to figure this out. And Audrey's like, well, you know, okay, okay. So she's kind of holding new Audrey uh, for Agent Howard and uh, while they go to begin their investigation, right? And Nathan decides to go visit the Rev to see what's up because this is, if this is biblical shit and the plagues of Egypt, you know, who's the person to talk to except the guy with the wrath of God on his side? Right. Yeah, he does. He goes to see the Rev and the Rev says, yep, it's 10 biblical plagues of Exodus. Hey, you might want to pay attention to that firstborn son one. <laughs> yeah. And Nathan's like, why do you want to like punish the the troubled people? Exactly. And the Rev's like, I really don't want anyone punished. I just want uh, the cursed to uh, ask for God's forgiveness. Meanwhile, back at the back at the station, Dave and Vince come to Audrey and they're like, hey, we got to bury the chief and we got to tell people, you know, that he's gone because, you know, people are going to start wondering and they're kind of, you know, figuring out arrangements and uh, they're going to put in a good a word for Nathan to become the t- interim chief. Uh, meanwhile, they're looking into these plagues and Audrey and Audrey are and Nathan are kind of like looking at it and uh, Fraudry is helping Audrey along even though you know her detective skills are so keen that she's joining in on the investigation since people are getting hurt and that doesn't fly with her right and uh uh, new audrey helps her figure out the pattern it is indeed the hit and run driver who is bringing the plagues and they're wherever he goes they're following him so they're gonna go look for that guy uh they found out i think they've linked the car to a, a family called the schubert so they're gonna go visit the house meanwhile uh, Duke returns to the Cape Rouge to find uh, the woman from the crowd sitting on his bench. Everybody likes to come onto the Cape Rouge and sit on his bench, I guess. I guess that's the way to really uh, piss off Duke. Because when People he gets in no, the- no boundaries. They have no boundaries. <laughs> He's already immediately like, hey, what are you doing here? I don't want nothing to do with you. Get the fuck out of the Haven, blah, 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 blah. And he introduces her as Evie Evidence Ryan. Yeah. And they clearly have been involved in uh, capers and scams in the past. And, you know. Yeah. As they mentioned, you know, like, oh, I helped you on this one, but you also hurt me on this one. Yada, yada, yada. So she's kind of like trying to get him involved in a new one. And he doesn't want anything to do with these. I get the fuck out of here. So she leaves. There's a couple more scenes like this throughout the episode. So we're we're going to quickly summarize most of them right here. Like they meet again at the gray goal and she's like, hey, come on, let's get involved. And he's like, no. So. (laughs) Meanwhile, they go to the Schubert house and they're like, hey, you know, you're, we find your car. What's going on? And they're like, oh, it must have been TJ. TJ's, you know, been having a hard time. So he must have gotten drunk and crashed it or something. Yeah. So TJ and their daughter, uh, Connie's baby, they've been taking care of it because Connie is no longer with us. Uh, so they're getting calls. So, you know, Audrey and Nathan are trying to figure out, OK, TJ must have this like trouble or something. But what the fuck's going on? They get a call for a guy who's been struck with boils, right? The first call they get is actually to a farm. Yeah, livestock is dead. Uh, hundreds of CG computer-generated cows <laughs> everywhere in the field. And then we get to the boils, right? Where the guy reveals, hey, he, TJ was trying to buy a gun. So uh, I didn't sell him one because, you know, whatever, what you know, legally, blah, 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 blah. But this guy, Little Mike, sells guns at the Grey Goal. You should go talk to him because that's the guy who's probably going to sell TJ a gun. <laughs> uh, so they get to the Grey Goal. 
kind of comes uh duke comes up right and kind of explains what's the situation with tj yeah they they get there and they're looking they're looking for tj and then uh all of a sudden they start hearing hail hitting and of course they look outside it starts hailing there's a little uh, even some flames with it that you know be consistent with uh, the biblical plagues of exodus and TJ uses that opportunity to escape and avoid them and drive off in the car he carjacked because he loves drinking and driving, apparently, quite a bit. Right. So Duke, Duke's like, hey, you know, he, you know, his wife died giving birth to their kid and he's been all fucked up since. Right. And they talked to little Mike, the guy who sold him a gun to confirm. Yeah, I sold him a gun. He's got a handgun now. So they're like, oh, fuck. Great. Oh, remember, he's, he didn't say he sold them a gun. He says he knows he left with a gun. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to implicate himself. Right. So they're leaving. And Nathan's like, hey, Duke, you got to come with us because I'm the firstborn son. So I might die. And in case that happens, Audrey needs help. So you're coming with us. Duke's like, oh, my God, fuck. Let's go. They all get in the car. So now we've got, you know, the the, the quad group. It's Audrey, Nathan, uh, Fraudry, and Duke. When uh, That's when it kind of comes out that the chief is dead and Duke is uh, stunned, wondering why Nathan, you know, is kind of like, oh, shit, you didn't even tell me kind of type thing. And they tell you, yeah, he's in the cooler. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Nathan wants Audrey to make sure if something happens to him uh, that she buries the uh, buries the chief. Right. So they get to the house. I get to TJ's house. The Rev is out there with a whole flock of people, you know, because uh, for the biblical end times and shit and everything looks dark. It almost looks like an eclipse outside of TJ's house. And they're basically like, you know, hey, Rev, fuck, fuck off. Don't be turning this into an event type thing. And uh, both Audrey's go inside, right? Right. Bud and Arlene tell them that uh, both Audrey's at uh, TJ's upstairs with a baby and a gun. So they go in the room and TJ is totally racked with guilt. He's kind of out of control. He's like, ah, blah, 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 blah. I'm causing this. You know, I'm, I realize it's coming from me. And, you know, he talks about that. He's reading the Bible and stuff. And Audrey puts it together. She's like, oh, what you're reading is what is coming to fruition because you read it. And he's like, oh, shit. She's like, were you reading about the plague? He's like, yeah, I was reading Exodus. Like, da, 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 da. So before he can kill himself, they convince him to read like a children's book. Uh, right. The Velveteen Rabbit. And- yeah. So that causes you know because outside the 10th plague is hitting nathan's like collapsed and is uh, on the verge when they convince him to switch books right and other members of the revs flock are afflicted with as they're the firstborn sons but luckily audrey's plan works he keeps reading the velveteen uh rabbit to the baby who is a firstborn son as well the baby stops crying starts feeling better and nathan is uh you know is able to recover and then we see a little shadow of a rabbit's shadow on the walls in the bedroom all right right everybody comes outside you know it's kind of like hey hey, we saved the day yeah 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 and the rev kind of comes up to the main group and is like hey you know there's something coming you're gonna have to you know duke i know you like to be neutral and nathan you just fucking chose your side as the wrong side but there's a war coming you're gonna you're gonna end up on one side or the other you can't stay neutral so you boys better pick right on the roads you're traveling Uh, it's not too late to change because the lamb will never lie down with the lion. Exactly. Uh, meanwhile, Duke goes to talk to everyone last time. She's like, yeah, hey, yeah, like we find out, uh, you know, he wants her to get out of town because it's so dangerous. And then that's kind of when it's revealed that she's his wife. Exactly. And uh, you can tell she's from Duke's world because she's like, oh, I'll be uh, I'll be the one who decides if I can run a scam on this on this stuff. And that's and she says, I'll see you around. So she's not going anywhere. 
Yeah, everybody leaves. Duke and Nathan, or Nathan goes to bury his father. He goes to bury the chief finally, and Duke joins in and helps him out. Uh, and that's when Duke's like, "Hey, you didn't even tell me your dad died." He's like, "You didn't even tell me you were married." So I think we're about even. Yeah, he's just trying to score a few points with the new chief. Right. Yeah. Because so they, the Teagues have already earlier had uh, talked to him, and he had, uh, you know, that he's be the chief and announce that the chief had died. And then meanwhile, we cut back to the Grey Goal and Audrey and uh, Fraudry are having a conversation and they're having a recollection of a memory they both share, which is when Audrey was a kid, one of the girls at the foster home was telling her that the foster father was uh, abusing her. And so Audrey went and stabbed him in the neck with a pair of scissors, right? And they both never, no, neither of them ever told anyone that. And yet they right. both know. And, and Fraudry asked her Mickey Mouse scissors and then they both knew it was a shared memory. Right. And so Agent Howard's coming in the door. But when we see him to come collect Fraudry, it's actually a different guy. It's not the Agent Howard that we've been seeing. Someone different comes and Fraudry goes up to him and is like, hey, you know, like, don't worry about it. Because right before then, Audrey had been like, I'll protect you. Don't worry. Like, we'll figure this out. Just lie. Like, we'll I'll, you know, I'll help you out. So Fraudry kind of returns the favor by protecting our Audrey. Right. She says uh, she says the, the fraud is in the wind and heading towards the Canadian border. So to throw them off the re- our Audrey's tail. Yeah. And that's it. That's kind of where it ends. Everybody, the shocking realizations. OK, so that kind of wraps up uh, episode one of season two of Haven. And, uh, you know, now it's time that your favorite part of the show, which is, well, let's face it, uh, all parts are favorites, but <laughs> One of my favorite parts is our rating, you know, where we get to talk about the French meter. And uh, so I really love this episode and I thought it was a great start to the second season. They really set up the second season well while they wrapped up some loose ends from season one. And uh, then, you know, I also loved the Nathan and Duke moments. They were very enjoyable. And actually the scenes with Audrey and Fraudry were as well. I also love the uh, Plagues of Egypt concepts because I've loved that since I was a kid. I grew up watching uh, the Ten Commandments on uh, you know, on on Easter every year, so uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, you know the plagues in storytelling. So on the frontal meter, I have to give it a nine. I think it's really strong, a really strong a nine. Story. Wow, it's pretty high. It's one of it's one of my favorite episodes. Actually, I really like it. Did you like it more than Sketchy? You gave that one a pretty high. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know if I give it a nine. I give it like an eight. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I thought it was very coherent coming out of a very chaotic finale. Uh, I think other than the Duke and Evie scenes, which felt a little repetitive after a while of just like, yeah, join me. No, join me. No, leave town. No. Uh, other than that, I thought it was a, a very well-constructed episode. We got a lot. We got a lot of each kind of piece of the pie rather than focusing completely on one thing, they did a good job of distribution of uh, time and story. Like we got enough of the threat of the rev. We got enough of fraudery. We got enough of kind of the, ta- the tapestry of the town, right? With Dave and Vince being like, Hey, we got to, you know, get an interim chief and Nathan and Duke's relationship, uh, Audrey and Nathan. So we kind of got a nice balance. I thought of everything with introducing Evie and or, uh, Evie into the team. Right. And I would agree with you that it might have been a little much. I mean, at some point, you know, when does Duke have to get a restraining order on oh, on Evie? <laughs> Clearly stalking him. And yeah, I really like that. They started it right where season, you know, started season two, right where season one ended. Uh, I, I thought that was really cool because you, you don't always get that with uh, TV shows. I mean, a lot of the time when you get a season two, 
it's like months or, you know, time has passed and then you, you take up valuable time kind of recounting what has happened in between the, you know, the end and start of the next season. So I thought that was a really cool thing. We always like to do an extra segment at the end of the episodes. This one's going to be, we're going to be talking about uh, how TV shows handle jumping from like uh, predominantly from season one to season two, but we'll talk a little bit more about uh, other season jumps, but just talking about the nature of jumping from season to season and how that works. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was, it was interesting. It was funny in the commentaries when they talked about how they actually reshot that final scene. Cause I was like, yeah, it looks a little different, which if you were watching in real time, yeah, I don't, I definitely didn't catch that this time. I was like, Hey, this looks a little weird. Like this doesn't yeah, look I- exactly like how I just saw it like <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Well, as I was watching the commentary, that's when I noticed. I was like, oh, you're right. Yeah, it is a different season. And I, 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 be honest, I didn't catch it. And kind of the neat thing is, is uh, Ernst and Dunn said they reshot the entire last scene of that just for the the beginning intro, you know, as, you know, previously on Haven. So so that it looked consistent. So that, yeah, it would look yeah. weird if they didn't because you can't match. Uh, so they did 10 biblical plagues. Except, well, so did they get, did they get all of them? Did you, did you, uh, do you know, how well do you know your plagues? Well, you know, I'm normally more of a fan of uh, famine, but uh, <laughs> when it comes to plagues, uh, yeah, they, uh, they did get them all. And there was one that they, uh... so they got turning water to blood. They got frogs. Uh, did they get lice or gnats? Gnats. Yeah. Gnats were what caused uh, the car accident. accident. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Wild animals are flies. So we got the flies. Uh, pestilence of livestock so we got that yep. boils we got that thunderstorm of hail and fire we got that very little fire <laughs> more uh, hail but yes, locusts it. they it's mentioned like on the radio i believe yeah because i think in the commentary they said that they had a cricket scene that got cut out of the show uh that they just didn't have time for oh let me tell you uh thank god they didn't go with their original idea for the the, the plague on the livestock where they, they wanted them to be in a room with uh with the wallpaper with cows on it and then all the paint starts running and yeah, that. <laughs> essentially the, the the wallpaper cows were dying and uh, thank God <laughs> they were the only two who thought that was a good idea so you know now you know why it takes a team <laughs> yeah hoping Sean Pillar you know was the volleyball defense spiking that back at them like yeah no don't well, do no, that no don't do that uh, then they had, we had darkness for three days they didn't have three days but they had darkness at the end uh. Because well, everything's accelerated one. because of TJ's yeah. power, right? Yeah. So the you know really just the kind of locusty one is the only one we didn't really see. Did, did uh, I don't, we re- need, I, I don't remember the, it. hearing it, but uh, I, I believe you. But yeah, we didn't see it. But we could have gotten out on the car ride, you know, on the car ride to. I, I think it came over house. radio at some point, so it's probably not worth rewatching it to, to verify. All right, so we got a new character this season. We got evidence for Ryan Evie. How do you, uh, what do you think about the name? Let's have a discussion on the name. Because we both, I think we both wanted to ask each other, like, hey, what do you think about Evidence Ryan as a name? So when I first heard it, you know, I I was cool with Evie. I was like, okay, you know, cool. And then when he's like, Evidence Ryan, and I was like, Evidence? Well, I think he says Evidence Ryan first, doesn't he? I Mm. thought he said the name, I thought he said Evidence Ryan, then he calls her Evie. Because I'm like, are we going to call her Evidence all season? Like, I don't know about that. Yeah. But, you know, then when I hear it, I'm like, who the fuck names names their child Evidence? You know, And then, uh, and then you listen to the commentary. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and then I listen to the commentary and they're like, and they say, hey, Charles Ardai, you know, who works on the show and is also the head of uh, hard crime fiction. Hard uh, case crime. 
hard case crime. Well, maybe he started hard crime fiction as an offshoot, <laughs> but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, he runs a publishing house for crime novels and uh, of evidence that makes sense. So I think it makes sense for their baby, but not for this character. Yeah, for like evidence or die. I don't. I, I think. It, I think it's fine. I, when I first heard it, I was like, uh. And then I was like, yeah, I like it. Then I was like, uh. I was like, I don't want to hear it all the time though, because it sounds kind of cheesy. But I think Evie, her full name being Evidence, but going by Evie's cool. So I, I'm down with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with Evie. And still, still not going to turn me to like that that first name. <laughs> Yeah. Would you like to have been Evidence French? Well, it's a girl's name, you know? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> Mine would be like perpetrator or something or <laughs> or uh, what, what, manslaughter, maybe, if we're talking yeah. about like crime-related names. <laughs> manslaughter yeah. would be a pretty uh, badass first name. That'd be better than uh, Forgery French. I mean, uh, Forgery is right. kind of a cool name. I, 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 You know what? Forgery wouldn't be bad. You go by Forge? That's a pretty like badass like name uh well I'll, I'll call your mother and see if she's willing <laughs> to have to the birth certificate <laughs> amended yeah the forgery french forgery french there's alliteration that's all you need want to talk about uh, some king references in there because uh, there's a pretty big one early on oh yeah there's a huge one at the beginning uh so yeah because you see like the paper boat a paper boat going down the stream the drain stream down the sidewalk and i was like Oh man, are we gonna do it? And then it, and I was like, oh, it's a nice little touch. And then it blew up into a big, big it reference. I was like, oh fuck, they're going full, full on. Yeah, they're full. they're they're going all the way with this reference. Yeah. Full on Georgie, full on Georgie, because uh, a little kid comes out chasing the boat, and he's wearing a yellow slicker and galoshes, just like Georgie and it. And sure enough, same thing. Boat goes into the into the sewer, and hey, I'm gonna stick my arm in there. <laughs> Thank God there was no uh, no clown in there this time. Yeah, Pennywise yeah. is menacing. Oh yeah, they're not in dairy, so no clowns, no clowns in Haven. Yeah, then he reaches in, he screams. You're like, oh yeah, just like the arm getting ripped off. Arm gets pulled out, covered in blood, and like we said, it was a biblical plague. So yeah, it was a cool King reference. It was a little heavy. I was like, ah. Uh, I was like, this is pretty intense, like, it reference. Yeah, uh, it was pretty overt. I mean, yeah, I, I generally enjoy the more subtler ones. Yeah, I was like, I would have liked if we just saw the kid running down the block in his yellow slicker chasing a paper boat, and we don't really see anything else of it. I've been like, oh, that's cool. But seeing the arm, kind of the whole shtick, I was like, yeah, it's a little much. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. But, you know, in 2011, uh, what... Would kids still be wearing yellow slickers and yellow galoshes? No. Well, the, the galoshes weren't yellow. Those are black. <clears throat> were they? I don't know. Whatever. But yeah. Come on. How many kids have galoshes anymore? Yeah. <laughs> By the time I got to high school, it was just uh, your feet are going to get wet. Live with it. Well, uh, I think every season we kind of amend uh, Dave's outfits, right? I think so. We, we're not quite a bow tie era yet with Dave, right? But now he's <laughs> added the hat. Yeah, he's got the hat. Well, you know, and he, do you think it's a, from Sam Ernst's personal like wardrobe, the hat? Do you think he took it right off his head and was like, "Here you go, yeah, let's change up Dave's look a little and just tossed it on him"? I, I'm thinking uh, <laughs> th the actor who plays Dave just saw said saw it on Ernst and he was like, "Hey, this will really finish off Dave's attire right here." His, Maybe uh, it's like it's so fucking cold and I'm bald, so <laughs> I need to cover you know, my head because that's I, all they talked about in the commentary was how fucking cold it was. Apparently, well, that's like me. I wouldn't have been able to shoot scenes without a hat on. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm bald, man. It's my head gets cold. Hey, you, you could, nice you could. Oh, well, you know, when you're acting, 
like the second it cuts, there's like somebody there who comes and runs up and puts like a blanket on you and puts your, you know, and fucking brings your hat and gloves and shit. So it's not like you don't just stand there. Like, unless it's obviously very consecutive quick takes, most of the time they rush you to like, or a heated tent. I know on sets I worked, you know, you set up a little like five by five personal tent with sides on it. And then like you put like a heater facing inward. So then they, uh, locations usually as heaters. So I'm sure they, I'm sure the actors, you know, while cold, while performing, they you know they got treated well they usually do obviously well, that, i'm sure that, i'm sure they're treated well yeah, yeah the trial of audrey parker where they're on the boat <laughs> yeah that's a little different story when you're like <laughs> you know <laughs> on the boat i'm sure that was a bit harder well yeah i'll tell you like on the rare nights it gets cold down here and i'm playing tennis you know i take my hat off and uh you know you can visibly see you know, steam come, come off of it. So you, you'd have to look, you'd have to like edit that out and like CGI it or something. Uh, if that were to happen. Well, Dave was like indoors the whole uh, episode. So no worries there. Yeah. I, I like that. We had Dave and um, Vince back, you know, and that they were, uh, and I really like that scene where they approach uh, Nathan at, at, at Haven PD and they're, uh, you know, basically, Hey, you know, you, you got to tell the world the chief, the chief is dead. And, you know, we got to, you know, we got to explain the events that took place, you know. But so it was really cool because Nathan basically just and we knew he had to, but he stepped into the chief's role. You know, here here's the information here. You guys come up with a story to cover, you know, the events, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, Dave had Dave had a great headline uh you know global warming comes to haven and uh, i i thought that was pretty pretty cool and yeah it was a neat scene uh yeah i thought this episode did uh i also liked kind of how the rev presents the difference in duke and nathan right he kind of sets up this like philosophical question of like hey you know there's a war coming and there's a road that's going to go two ways and like you guys need to figure it out and like it's kind of is emblematic of kind of their roles in haven as we've seen it and how we will see it moving forward, you know, is like, will they travel to get there together, but not the same. So, you know, how will that change, you know, over time, are they going to split eventually? Right. Because, uh, you know, Rev had wanted, hoped both of them would join his side in the war, but he knows Nathan's already made his choice and, uh, you know, uh, shit. Nathan has a trouble. Of course he's going to not side with Rev. Yeah, and then Duke, you know, who's uh, you know tries to stay out of things, but eventually, at the rep says, uh, a side will choose you. So yeah, you can't stay neutral forever. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're right. I think that's really cool. They're they're setting it up. You know, boom, it's going to be Rev and uh, Holy Rollers against the Troubled. <laughs> and uh, I mean, he won our Survivor episode, so who knows? Uh, his, his odds are looking pretty good to win the war. Yeah, based on that, I mean, somehow he's able to forge all of these uh, connections and uh, alliances. So I'd keep my eye out out for him. I think he's going to be very important as the season goes on. Uh, We talked a little bit about the commentary. Uh, So this one is done by Ernst and Dunn, you know, creators. And they also wrote the episode with our our all-time favorite director, T.W. Peacock, returning to direct as they said it's a little difficult directing the first episode as everyone's kind of coming back from the break and everything uh getting everybody focused again uh well, the, I, the the commentary did you think it, it kind of sounded the actual recording kind of sounded like shit i thought uh it was a little staticky i had headphones on when i was like listening to it so you could hear there was no um 
So when you're kind of doing audio for stuff like this, you have like a room tone. So, because when you are on a blank track, it's obviously dead silence. And then when you're putting on someone's voice, you can hear the background static, like spike, right? So you need to put a layer underneath to kind of disguise when the audio is coming in and out, but they didn't do that for the commentary. So it'll be completely silent and like, and then you hear like white noise kick in and then their voice. And you can hear this like static through the whole thing. At least I could with headphones on. I don't know how it was off the TV. Well, I didn't listen with headphones and uh, didn't really think much of it, but I did notice the audio quality wasn't the same as the previous season's commentaries. So yeah, season one was... had fine audio quality. This one was, and then someone's phone went off during it. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just going to say <laughs> that someone's phone went off in it. And uh, well, and one thing I'll say for, for the listeners, if you decide to go the route that, that we are and you're going to buy the Blu-rays for, for the series, um, just want to give you a spoiler alert. They gave a lot of spoilers during the commentary. Yeah, they did it in season one a couple times, but I mean, this this commentary, they gave two incredibly massive spoilers. Massive. So. Yeah, they're operating under the assumption that you've watched the whole season and that you've come back to rewatch it, uh, the season a second time with the commentaries on, rather than what we're doing where, you know, we watch the episode and then watch it again with the commentary. So they're operating under the assumption, you know, everything about that season. Right. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't think that's unreasonable, but it would, uh, it makes our job a little tougher to do. It was, so there's a lot of interesting things I thought in the commentary. One, they confirmed that they knew they were, I don't know if it was because they were recording it after season two had finished or if it was known during season two, but they knew a season three was on the way. So at first I was like, fuck, if they knew, beginning of season two you know that means that they're gonna fuck around and not give us answers again uh but i'm not sure on when they got the information that they were getting a third season so maybe we'll find out in further commentary it was nice i like the commentary because it was nice that dunn dunn he still has some jokes and stuff but it seemed like he had a lot more serious uh points to make than he used than he did in season one commentaries he kind of would joke around a lot in the season one this one he kind of would talk more about the story so i was a little i was more i was i was impressed i was like oh, okay done and he he did get me to laugh once uh i did i did he did get a chuckle out of me with the digital milk oh yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i did uh i actually laughed at that too but uh you know. they mentioned that the cows are dying you know and uh sam is like yeah they're all digital cows and jim dunn's like yeah it's where digital milk comes from or something like that and uh, i it got me to laugh i wasn't expecting it uh, one super interesting thing I found in the commentary was that cop, right? The one who's kind of friendly and talking to them a bunch. They have this cop in the episode who kind of has like a couple moments where you're getting like, you know, usually when there's like an, a background extra or something, you kind of see his face, but you can, you can tell they're a type of actor who doesn't have a lot of magnetism. So it's a type of actor that you're not going to focus necessarily on them as much as you're going to be like, okay, they gave me a piece of expositional information that I need, right? Like there's been cops in past episodes who say something and you're like, oh, I couldn't remember what that guy looked like to save my life if I had to. But this cop, you know, had a more, you know, you can tell that like there was some thought into this character with like casting and writing. He got completely cut out of the story because they were running too long, but I thought it was a really interesting story that they had for the for the side character but yeah like the subplot is that he is actually secretly one of the revs like acolytes right that you know you'd find out towards the end of the season that he's been working with the rev or maybe i i, I was i couldn't tell if they meant he was going to get revealed in episode one to them or to us but that by the end of the season when we kind of see the revs group that he was one of the inner circle 
I think that would have been neat. Uh, just the problem was is that it's network television. They only had so much time, and right. uh, you're getting ten plagues in, and, you know, and handling introductions of new characters. I mean, it just it probably was too much. You know, it would have been neat if there was a director's cut, but. Well, I was kind of like, oh, man, what? Because I kind of like the cop. I thought he seemed kind of cool. I was like, oh, this guy seems like a nice guy. It was like the equivalent of finding out a cop has like a, like a KKK robe. You know, you were, I was kind of like, what? Like a little betrayed feeling. I was like, this guy's a bad guy. Like, I thought he was kind of cool. He seemed like he really wanted to help. But going back to the it reference, uh, still within commentary discussion is Sam Ernst mentioning that he was like, yeah, you know, I think Jim Dunn's like, yeah, it's, you know, this right there. Page one of it, you know, is Georgie in the boat and, you know, getting his arm ripped off and shit. And then Ernst mentions something. He's like, yeah, you know, it's a good thing. You know, we use something from the first page because you know how it is. Like Stephen King's books are so long. So, you know, a lot of them go unfinished and stuff. So I was like, oh, okay. So he doesn't finish a lot of, you know, he's saying he doesn't finish Stephen King books. And I was like wondering in the back of my head, I was like, what if he didn't finish the Colorado kid, you know? (laughs) No, I I, I was kind of thinking the same thing when I heard that. I was like, you know, first I was struck with uh, anger that blasphemy blasphemy <laughs> you know and uh king's books yeah and i will admit the same thing his books can't you know he spends so much time developing the characters that sometimes it it can be you might have to slog a little bit but i, I don't think i've had a book where i felt like I, I had a slog a bit that i wasn't rewarded for you know in the second half and uh so I was a little disappointed at that, but then I started to think the same thing. I'm like, did he re- read all of King's books? And then I was like, did he even finish the Colorado kid? There's not a ton of similarities from book to from book to TV show. So then I was like, yeah, maybe he just read kind of the first half. And that's because that's kind of stuff that ends up in Haven then doesn't really doesn't really like go into the rest of it. Although Colorado kid, you know, we have our opinions on it, which is in our Patreon episode. So you can hear it there. Yeah, you might want to check that out because uh, I've been told it's pretty darn good. And uh, <laughs> I think you want to check out all the Patreon episodes. I mean, yeah. you know, you deserve it. Yeah. So that was just a question. I was like, hey, I wonder if he finished Colorado Kid. It's pretty short, though. You know, I would hope he finished it. One other interesting thing I noted in the commentary, well, I guess I don't know if it's interesting per se, is that they're talking <laughs> about the music that was playing. And, and I think that's probably the third or fourth time I've heard Ernst call the band <laughs> sweet water radio. Yeah. When we know it's sweet talk radio. And speaking of which, if you become a Patreon member, our second Patreon uh, episode, we do a soundtrack of Haven and talk about sweet talk radio quite a bit. And who knows, maybe we'll do another one where we talk about sweet water radio. But well, and the funny thing is I looked up uh, the featured music in the episode and none of the songs are by sweet talk radio. Uh, it's one band is Wilderness of Manitoba, uh, band, and then Brad Cohen does two other songs for it. So that does sound like sweet talk at the uh, you know in that that scene though that they're that yeah. they're talking about at, at the end. That's what I got is I got that uh, it's not sweet talk radio. Hmm. Well, that'll be something uh, something <laughs> interesting to check. Listeners, into. yeah, tell us tell us if you if it, you're like hey, hey hey that was sweet talk radio or if sweet talk radio is listening be like hey that was us like what the fuck like. Brad yeah, Cohen's my pen name. <laughs> yeah, don't don't be giving credit to some wilderness of uh, wherever. Matt was yeah, it Manitoba the, of Manitoba. Yeah, that's Canadian, right? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely Canadian. Yeah, they, they uh, like the syrup too. Yeah the the Blu-rays were uh, a nice change. I'm sure people comically note how irate we were with the case for 
the container for season one, how difficult it was. But season two, they finally got their senses about them and made a reasonable Blu-ray case for it. Yeah, though they did manage to somewhat thwart us again, but, uh, you know, we... Well, how? Oh, with finding the commentary. Oh, right, right, right. For those who uh, get the Blu-rays and have a trouble... In season one, the audio commentary is like its own menu, so you can just, like, you know, go to audio commentary, episode one, blah, 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 blah. This one, you got to go into scene selection and then, you know, not choose any of the scenes, but click another option that says play commentary, which is wild because they're hidden. They're, like, disguised. The only explanation I can find is that there are less commentaries than they're supposed to be, and that's why they're kind of like, hey, maybe if they don't even see them or notice them, they won't say anything. Uh, well, yeah, you're. You, uh, that might be the reason, because uh, after episode one, we don't get a commentary for like four episodes, maybe five. That's so. like three-fourths of our content. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll have things to talk about, obviously, with the next episodes. But Yeah, exactly. But they're always really interesting to dive into. You find out so much information from the commentaries. I really loved the scene with Nathan and Duke burying the chief. I mean, uh, it, it was funny, but I also found it touching. You know, the way uh, the way Nathan's, you know, going through his father's remains and then he finds the wedding ring on on the chain. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it was pretty touching. And then Duke comes up and he's like, yeah, I just want, you know, just want to, you know, the, the banter between them, you know, curry some favor with the new police chief. No, and I enjoyed the, you know, the funny line about, you know, Duke saying, hey, uh, you, you didn't, you know, could have told me about your dad dying. And then, uh, you know, Nathan saying, hey, you could have told me you were married. I thought that was hilarious. And then like his last little, little uh, quip, uh, just to be clear, we know I'm the lion. <laughs> yeah. You know, referencing back to the Rev's comment, the lamb will never lie with the lion. So that no, was, it, was a, it was a really touching scene. I'm surprised, though, that Duke didn't, you know, take his shirt off. As we saw in season one, he likes to work with his, he likes to do his manual labor shirtless. And I'm sure a giant contingent of our audience would, uh, of Haven's audience, <laughs> uh, I'm not claiming it to be our audience, a giant contingent of the audience would, would have loved to see him shirtless, too. Right. And uh, I think you know, it was maybe, too cold. <laughs> well, in, in practicality, it was probably too cold because of yeah. the season they were shooting in. But, uh, you know, maybe he developed the character, Duke, developed, you know, like a complex after Evie told him uh, that, that he stunk, basically. <laughs> you know, she'll, yeah. she'll come see him again after he's showered. Yeah. He's been working hard. He's sweating up, you know, a lot of sweat pulling that kid out of the blood drain. One, uh, of, my, he, one of my favorite scenes was. Uh, Audrey and Fraudry doing the CPR. I thought that was a really slick. I thought that was a really slick way to deliver the idea that they both have the same memories. It was a nice disguise rather than it being expositionally. You know, I thought. I thought honestly at the end that was a bit in your face with the like scissor memory thing. I thought the CPR was a really slick, nice delivery of you know, hey, they have the same, they know the same stuff. And you're like, oh, shit, they even have the same memories, right? Right. And, uh, you know, kind of a side note to that, uh, the Campfire Girls is a real organization. Yeah, oh, cool. It, yeah, it was founded in Maine. Because yeah, so I thought like, that was pretty cool. Did you like the scissors stuff at the end? I thought it was a bit much. I thought it was a bit. And uh, to go to the commentary, sorry, to ask you a question, then cut you off. Uh <laughs> What do you As think? We usually, let, let me usually tell do. you what you should think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me let me let me tell you what you think. Because uh, in the commentary, uh, Ernst and Dunn say that other people thought that it was like over the top, and they're like, "Well, he's a pedophile." You know, I think that's appropriate. And it's like that's not what they're questioning. They're not questioning the response of stabbing a pedophile in the neck. They're questioning the idea to even have this type of like 
situation in the show and like this type of violence, like from a child, you know what I mean? Like this, the whole situation felt, I don't know. How did you feel? I thought it was a bit dark. I thought it was a bit like over the top. No, I, I do think it's, I, I do think it's a bit dark and I, you know, but you know, this is, that's, that is the type of event in your life that you probably don't tell anyone. And if, and if this other person that you think you have shared memories with has it as well, then wow. That, that that might be the clincher that confirms everything. So, but, but I did think it was really, really dark because it was another nice touching scene. It had potential to be, and then it went dark. Yeah. I mean, there still could be like a dark memory, you know, uh, that one of her foster parents like hit her once or something like that, or whatever, multiple times or something like, which also still would have been really dark. Uh, but it just kind of felt crazy. It's like Audrey stabbed a guy in the fucking neck when she was 12. Like that's pretty hardcore. I feel like that's just, if it, it reminds me of the dark man episode. See, I finally learned. I didn't call him shadow man this time. The dark man episode <laughs> where with the like, yeah, our original plan was to slash her Achilles, you know, and then fucking shove her in the fire and then incinerate her, you know, and I'm sure the husband would have had to snort the ashes or something like they don't forget I, dragging her, yeah. dragging her to the fireplace and throwing her in. Yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't even crazier. But yeah, so I, I felt like it was that where it's like Haven's got this, you know, very sci fi channel, you know, like level of whatever, it, you know, and then random just spike of super intense thing where it's like, whoa, now we're talking about like, a pedof- you know, a pedophile and Audrey having to like. I'm assuming the guy died if she stabbed him in the neck. I guess he could have lived, but well, they uh, said, uh, she, yeah, she, she was never abused again. But you know, but maybe because uh, they were little Mickey Mouse scissors, you know, so basically like little kid scissors. Maybe you know, got him in a right spot and he survived it. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it could have been worse. It could have been like in the, you know, in the jugular or something. But uh... <laughs> through the eye into the brain, yeah. <laughs> yeah i think you well whatever we're not gonna i'm not a, i'm not a doctor i'm not gonna say if you what well, you could survive uh, so i don't know i thought it was just i thought it was a little over the top because they they decide what's the memory she has right and they chose just such an obscenely dark and bleak memory and i'm not saying you know i'm not saying that stuff doesn't happen either but it just feels kind of out of tone with the rest of the show yeah, no, I, I I would agree with you with that. I, I was really hoping for kind of a lighter moment, you know, but, but yeah. we, ha- we had to kind of cement the relationship between the Audreys, you know, that they're going to ha- work work on this together. So I really did like that a lot is that, you know, they basically told their stories and you know, like I said, it went dark, but then they agreed to work to get basically to work together, even though it was in question. Uh, our Audrey didn't know if Audrey was going to go along, but she sure did. Well, yeah, I think what you just said is like a nice point is that this could have been like a nice happy moment. And I think the feelings of wanting to protect each other might. And I guess that's from a point of vulnerability, but I actually think it should have been like a happy moment that you share. Like, uh, cause that's also like, can be a vulnerable thing is to tell someone what you're like, what's the thing that truly made you happy. Cause most of the time it's not like, you know, most of the time it isn't something like, oh, I got a Hemi Cuda, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's usually not what it is. It's usually like small stuff that uh, that seem mundane kind of outwardly. Right. Like uh, Inception. Right. The kind of way they convince uh, Killian Murphy is a second time we're going to mention him on the pod. Uh, the way they kind of convince him. Right. Inception spoilers. If you haven't seen in the decade, it's been out. 
is they put the they convinced him the dad was still that the dad loved him and put that pinwheel uh, from his childhood in the safe at the end, right? And that that pinwheel is the one happy moment he had with his dad, right? So I think that would have worked out really well for me. Is this one? What's Audrey's like one kind of vulnerable happy moment from her childhood that she doesn't really talk about? Someone that had the same memories as her would understand the feeling. You know what I mean? Right, because they, they couldn't share memories about uh, Agent Howard because they're two completely different Agent Howards. <laughs> so, uh, which I'd that, forgotten. I'd forgot about. I remembered the two Audreys, but I had forgotten that there was two Howards actually. Yeah, you got you got to wonder what they're thinking in their heads. I, I mean, this would be. Yeah. So, so that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you that. Now, what do you think about the Audrey Fraudry paradox? Yeah. So this is a way to kind of definitively, you know, we were pretty sure on the fact that she was Lucy because of the cut in the foot. And this is kind of the ham, you know, the nail in the coffin of like, yeah, yeah, you're not who you think you are like lady, but the question's still up for debate on who is the real Audrey. Right. So, but I think, I think it's a nice, it's a, it's an interesting thing to do for sure can't really think of too many tv shows off the top of my head that i can think of having like something like this you know no Uh, no this is this is pretty unique you're right yeah Yeah, so it's a a cool drama point to kind of literally confront yourself (laughs) and it makes you question everything you thought about yourself which is great for drama uh so i i I love the twist uh the actress is good she's got a, a nice audrey vibe too where it's like a little stone cold but uh still compassionate you know yeah, no, uh, I thought the actress was was tremendous. And, uh, you know, I, I lean towards uh, Fraudry being Audrey because that Agent Howard comes in with a team of FBI agents, whereas you never see, uh, you know, Aud- old Audrey's uh, Agent Howard with anyone else. You know, he's on his own side and he obviously did, was working with the chief. Did new Howard have a, like a properly fitted suit? I think that's going to kind of determine who the real Howard is. It was, it was, it was a pretty sharp looking suit. He's a pretty tall guy again. Good goodness. They must only hire tall guys for the FBI. Yeah. You know, a couple other things. Uh, how many, how many times are they going to rain animals or yeah. amphibians yeah. on Nathan and Audrey? I mean, good Lord. Well, it wasn't amphibians before, right? It was birds. It was birds, but I said animals yeah. and amphibians. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, frog. So yeah, what birds the first time and frogs now? Yeah, it's and, uh, gonna get dangerous at some point if they start dropping anything heavier. Like, well, at what point do they start dropping anvils? You know, they go wily <laughs> coyote. And uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you were suggesting they use a giant magnet, right, and resurfacing so to pull the guys through the pier floor. So they're clearly going Acme style. Well, you know, and uh, I think you actually mentioned <laughs> no, that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and accredited it to me, but uh, I like the idea. So, no, that that, that was interesting. And then, uh, what do you think about uh, the, our plus size criminal being named Little Mike? Hey, you know, that's what you do. Like, you know, you know, calling someone skinny or little, and you know, they're the opposite. So that's what makes oh, yeah. it like funny. Yeah, I, I was just, you know, I was just curious if, you know, you thought, you know, naming portly actors you know, like Little, you know, is a bit cliched now, finally. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But maybe 10 years ago, I think we were still on the we were on the verge, you know, of that not being, you know, we were like it was like the I think that had pretty much run its course. You know, I think Haven kind of was right in the tail end of that being still funny. I feel like now. Yeah, it's it's overplayed, but. Right. I and, think it uh, depends also on its implementation. If it was built up over more time and they're like, oh man, he's like, 
I don't know, or in the opposite sense, they're like, yeah, he's a big guy, and you see him, and he's a tiny guy, but they're like, yeah, personality, you know, he's really scary. Hey, yeah, you know, uh, no actors were body shamed on this podcast. <laughs> I think it was kind of just <laughs> a non-point for me because I was like, yeah, he got a gun from this guy. Do we really need to talk to him? And he's driving again, so I felt like I felt like little Mike was just kind of a waste of time. I was like, yeah, we don't really need to talk to this guy, like. So, and then kind of my last question for you was uh, how bad would it suck to have TJ's trouble? Uh, it depends on what you're reading, you know, it could be well, cool. exactly. You know, I read Stephen King. <laughs> I read fantasy novels with lots of wars and death. Yeah, well, you better so. start reading romance and, uh, you know, like self-help books. What happens there if he's reading like self-help books? Does that just make, is that he's magically not an alcoholic now? Yeah. Hey, I'm sober and I'm confident and empowered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what happens if he reads The Secret? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people yeah. like me. He reads and it's uh, he's the same. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. <laughs> uh, people. So, yeah, I just thought about that. I was like, I, I would have to totally change my reading tastes. And, uh, you know, and that would suck to not be able to read Stephen King anymore or, or Joe Hill and, you know, other horror writers. But does it apply if you watch his movies and stuff? You just watch the movies. It's got to not. I mean, that would just be impossible. You would just have to put on Nickelodeon and all, 24-7. Or, and even that might not be good because you could start getting slimed and shit all the time. Or what if it's like, you know, because how would a curse work for you reading something? You know, maybe it's like like how I questioned how a curse would work knowing days of the week for Helena's like, hey, on Fridays, you know, it happens. Uh, so maybe maybe it's like things he imagines, you know what I mean? Things that stimulate his imagination or what like, or like the imagery he creates in his mind. So, you know, maybe eventually it would, I don't know, maybe, I guess movies, you know, he doesn't have to really imagine, but possibly replicate what he's seeing or seeing in his mind or what he's thinking about. Well, in that case, he should write, he should write a book where his wife comes back to life and then read it. Hey, there, there you go, you know, and ask for more wishes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but in his case, it's a pretty easy. It's better than uh, the dark man. He got, has to live in a fucking pitch black house. He, he's blind. There's no difference. Yeah, but he can't go outside. He has to oh, stay that, that's, in that, that house. That, that, that's, that's what sucks. Yeah, uh, he should be able to go out at night. And Vicky can't really draw. She, you know, without endangering everything. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, she's. Yeah, that's so a, that's a tough one too. Hobby. TJ doesn't seem like a huge book reader, so. Uh, yeah. Well. Well, his, his trouble was pro- it triggered when his when his wife died, and yeah. you know, and considering he's been nothing but drinking since then, I mean, yeah, you know, drinking and reading don't go very well <laughs> hand in hand. All right, so that's the end of uh, kind of our coverage on the main episode. So, like every episode, we like to. Just, t- you know, pick a subject. Sometimes they're humorous. Sometimes they're more, uh, I hate to use the word intellectual with us, but uh, more, uh, <laughs> more, uh, more academic, let's say. Let's, let's use that phrase. Just last week, we were discussing Aristotle's uh, The Good Life, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, make it sound like uh, we're heathens. We are intellectuals. Yeah, that was after we talked about MTV's The Challenge. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so to, we're just kind of talking about uh, the the jump from season to season, uh, you know, TV shows kind of how the structure is, is, you know, you watch X amount of episodes and then it kind of takes a break. Obviously, in real time, it's because they need to you know shoot more episodes. But that's kind of the structure they've taken is that you build, build, ramp up to the end of a season, you know, in, our, in Haven's case, 13 episodes. And then, you you know, you leave and then you come back for season two. And a lot of shows take different approaches. 
to how they jump back in for season two, right? So Haven, as we discussed earlier, uh, comes back the second that season one ended. Uh, and yeah. you, you said you like that, right? That's I like your that style. a lot. Yeah. Okay. And I mentioned why, why I like it, because a lot of times you end up with shows having to explain a gap of time that wasn't covered that from in between the end of season one and the beginning of season two. And that's valuable time. You could just be boom, plowing away, plowing ahead with the story. So uh, I'll actually take a divergent path that I like the time jump thing from season to season. I don't like I don't love jumping back in the second from I I don't I I like this episode. I thought Haven did a really good job of coming back in for season two. Just to uh answer this question real quick is that I, I really liked this first episode and I liked how it transferred all the kind of it took the baggage of season of you know the finale, but not all of it. It feels like it feels nice. It doesn't feel like we're overloaded with all this season one shit. We got the chief, new Audrey uh and the refs threat and they kind of carry those ideas through while presenting new stuff uh which i thought was nice yeah exactly so you know but and i'm not like you know diametrically opposed to having gaps and sometimes that's really cool you you get to introduce new characters that way and uh you know new storylines without having to spend all the time so i i just i just liked it i thought it was neat yeah. it, like i said i don't think you see it a lot I do like the time jump in when people do that from season to season, because one, it reflects kind of reality, you know, because you've been away from the show for a while. So it's a little difficult when you, you know, when you're watching in real time and a show ends and then the next season starts the exact second it left off. You're kind of like, if you haven't watched it recently, you're like, hey, or you're not binging. You're like, hey, what happened again? Like at the end, you know, the details aren't as fresh. (laughs) So it's a little, sometimes it can be, it was fine for us because we're watching them all in a row, right? Like, Right. Uh, and uh, Well, you know, and, and this, you know, currently now a lot of viewers stream. So that's kind of, uh, you know, but the, but the gap in time, binge. the gap yeah. in time, though, is still uh, existent. Right. From, you know, if you're watching, you know, if you're watching Mandalorian right now, you know, the time, the break between season one and two is still uh, I haven't started season two. So I don't even know how they handle the jump, but I'd imagine a time jump. That seems kind of how that that show does time jumps from episode to episode, let alone, well, you know, season so. You know, one clever way to uh, a time jump is done is in the office. So like uh, the office, they really don't cover the summers because the documentary crew doesn't film during the summer. Yeah. So, so they, it's nice in universe explanation, right? For why. Well, and have- yeah. And they do their funny little interview, you know, like one-on-one interviews where they say what they did in the summer. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, it's kind of neat. You know, if, if you like the office, because uh, I obviously love the office, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, on shows that did kind of what Haven did with jumping back the second, I know one show that I didn't like when they did that was, uh, and for maybe a different reason, was The Killing, jumping from season one mm. to season two. Uh, it kind of ends, you know, on this like season one cliffhanger and goes into season two. But uh, obviously there's going to be some kind of spoilers for end of seasons discussion for a couple of these shows. So if you don't want to hear a bunch of shows be talked about, uh, you might want to be warned but we'll kind of mention the show boldly and then talk before we mention the ending to it so for the killing at the end of season one you don't catch rosie's killer the, the it continues into season two so you're like at the end of season one you're like oh what the fuck like i gotta watch another fucking 10 episodes to find rosie's killer Are you fucking serious like i gotta do this yeah. whole journey again it's only in half 
which, you know, some people might be like, oh, it's great because I want more of it. But I was like, yeah, I fucking want to be done with this mystery and move on to another one. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and this is just my preference, but I, I think, you know, it's cool. You can have like a overarching mystery that doesn't get solved there. But if there's a you know, like like a fucking crime, like, you know, I don't want to wait take three years to solve a murder from the, like the first episode. I mean, what, what, come on. And it's just kind of weird. Cause it's like season one and two are one story. Then season three and four are each kind of individual story. So you're like, all right, well, what's up with this? Like this seasons, this one mystery is two seasons, but the other ones are just one season. Wait, and it, I was going to say how it felt to me was like, they were milking it. It was seemed like it was in, they were intentionally milking it to stretch it out for more episodes. Yeah. Um, okay. So what are some, what are some examples of your least favorite? Uh, we'll kind of go from worst to best. What are some of your examples of your least favorite meth uh, shows that jump their jumps from season one to two? Okay. So I, I really, for me, I had a hard time with this exercise because I, I, I watch shows and I follow them because I love them. And there's very, I just, just rare. And that I'm older now and I don't remember a lot of the old shows I watch. My memory's not what it used to be. So, but one I uh, one I didn't like was Millennium. Do you remember? Like, can you elaborate? It's because the tone completely changed. Mm. Season one was uh, led by Chris Carter, you know. And so, and if those of you don't recall, Chris Carter is the creator of X Files. So, okay. And they they took you know, and it was a uh, some people didn't like this. But you got to remember, this is the '90s. I was into the Killer of the Week and Road to the Apocalypse stuff. They mm-hmm. took that you know, and and they changed it. You know, and then Glenn Morgan and James Wong. And I know you're a fan of James Wong. I mean, you know, it was Chris Carter, so it was dark, and it was you know, Crime of the Week, mysterious, mysterious, and then uh, you know, uh, Morgan and, and Wong take over, and they start adding all this supernatural shit with demons and you know uh, you know so it's still apocalyptic but it's you know focusing you know so much on uh the millennium group that a frank uh contract works with and that but then for season three they bring uh chris carter comes back and it kind of returns to that and uh okay so so that yeah that's kind of like yeah, that, that happens too, right? Like, uh, obviously a little later on down the line, but like community switches showrunners from uh, Jay, uh, Har- from Harmon, Dan Harmon doing season one, two, and three to, and kind of losing control of the ship at the end of three there to NBC. To the guy, the guys who ran Just Shoot Me, I think, take over for season four and the show goes fucking off the rails to just pure shit. And then Harmon comes back on and kind of writes the ship, right? Similar to... What you're talking about? Obviously, in tone, nothing alike, but <laughs> yeah, they changed. I, I I even remember they had this one like goofy episode where Frank Black is like cracking jokes all the time, and like, it's oh almost like a comedy episode. And you know that, that's that's not Lance Hendrickson. I probably yeah. So one I picked for my least favorite is Heroes from season one to season two. Uh, I loved season one. I, I haven't rewatched it in a long time. I wonder how it's aged, but I, I did. I'd seen it multiple times. I loved season one. It was so cool to me. Uh, and then season two is, I, I'll defend it more than I think other people would, where other people were like, ah, it's complete shit. I won't say it's complete shit. And I see the idea, the idea, the intent behind their actions, but it just doesn't work. Like season two is just kind of fucked up. And then you add in the writer strike happening. And that's mm-hmm. what really fucked up season two. Cause season two, uh, you know, in heroes, it's all about 
ordinary people finding out they're extraordinary, right? That's kind of their tagline that writers use to themselves. And then in season two, their, you know, little internal tagline was extraordinary people having to fit back into ordinary. And that's season one's uh, save the cheerleader, save the world, right? First half of season one is save the, is save the cheerleader. And then the second half, they're trying to figure out the explosion in New York. Uh, And then season two, it jumps ahead in time, like six months and everybody's situation is completely different. And so you're spending so much time trying to figure out, you know, what these new status quos are. And then they're kind of a lot of the subplots they set up just go nowhere. And then because of the writer strike, they kind of abandon everything and just hack it all to pieces. And then because of fan reception, you know, they weren't liking stuff. They're like, okay, there's too much romance. You guys need to like, and it's going too slow. And so the writers got pissed off and like, all right, fine. You don't want it slow. We're going to fucking take this fast. And then you get villains, which is horrible. Another one, one that I'll say was one that I didn't like initially, but I liked once we got further, we got more distance on it to kind of, so it's kind of an in-between of I liked it and didn't like it. I didn't like it initially, then grew to love it, uh, was The Wire, was when you jump from season one to two, the characters are all kind of scattered, like the group, you know, they formed a little, the group in season one, and then season two comes about, and you know, you're kind of expecting this cop procedural thing, and at the end of season one, they kind of got scattered throughout the ranks, and they're all doing different things, and uh, Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy is... uh, with the boat people because he's you know he's kind of got punished by getting put on a shitty assignment in season two oh. season two focuses on the docks right and so it yeah, it's the teamsters the the, the the dock teams uh the, the the teamsters like at the docks you know and how cor- the union's corrupt yeah yeah, yeah. so season two kind of takes us away from the drug dealers the, you know the project drug dealers that we've grown attached to and you're kind of like well what the fuck those are the guys i like watching like i want to see more idris elba and uh and wood, you know, and all that. And you kind of don't, uh, you don't get any of that anymore. So then it's kind of, you don't like it. And then season three comes around four and five and you see that's what they kind of do every season is they kind of jump to a new area of crime in Baltimore and stuff. And it makes, I think season two, a lot more palatable once you realize the design. Yeah. The structure. And because uh, I remember like the last season that they bring in the media, the newspaper. Yeah. Reporters. It's a journalism, right. Is like journalism. The right. focus. And, uh, I love The Wire. Uh, it's one of my favorites of yeah. all time. And- That's one that I know fans were initially like, hey, what the fuck? And I'd heard season two is the worst season, uh, which I like season two. But, you know, you're kind of off put at the beginning. You're like, hey, what the fuck? And it takes a long time for the crew to, you know, Lester, Jimmy and everybody to kind of get back together. Uh, and I think that's what, you know, leaves kind of a sour taste where you're like, hey, I want my group back. You know, I want my comfort, even though the wire is not really comforting. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, which I don't no. think people were aware of yet. Right. And then you see the design. And you're like, oh, this is awesome that they like they take a different approach every season to the crime of Baltimore. So what, what I came up with when a season that I uh, liked was the jump from uh, series one to series two in Doctor Who. So Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Well, the the jump from series one to series two. So from when Christopher Eccleston steps out to when David Tennant becomes the doctor, right? David Tennant becomes the doctor. Right? Oh, okay. So, so are you saying, so the, the, the final episode of series one is the parting of the ways. So, so basically, <laughs> the, basically the, the, the way it ends is, uh, you know, for those who are fans of the show, you know, the doctor and you know, Rose. So uh, doc, Dr. And if you don't know Dr. Who, well, my God, yeah, shit out of luck. <laughs> we, we we probably can't be friends, but you can still be a Patreon member. But you know, 
I might hold back on that Wu-Tang nickname, uh, but no, just kidding. You, you, you will get one, but it kind of ends with the, doc- with the doctor to save everything, you know, is to uh, take in the, all of the energy to like kill, kill the, I can't remember if it was the Daleks or not. It was the Daleks. Daleks to just dis- to destroy them. He basically has to take in all the energy, which forces him to regenerate and he regenerates at the end of the episode. And then when we get to series two, they, you know, they land at uh, Ro- by Rose's apartment and, you know, in the, you know, the new doctor has to rest and recover, you know, because, you know, they, they are always a little, uh, a little cagey and, you know, just dis- dis- disoriented when there's a regeneration. So, mm, but- so you, so you're saying you like the, the transfer from the finale to series one to the Christmas invasion. Yeah, yeah, because uh, oh yeah, I gotta disagree with you on this yeah, one. Actually. I know you're not gonna. I knew you weren't <laughs> going to, but that's okay. Myself, but, no, no, no. I don't mind the like minutes, you know, uh, like jumping right back in after the the transformation happens, the regeneration happens. It's the idea that he's gone the entire episode. So you're kind of like, I actually rewatched it recently this year when uh, they finally re-added Doctor Who to HBO Max. I was watching through uh, old series, and it's just kind of like sucks because it's like i remember my feelings at the time so obviously when we watched doctor who uh you know i came in i came in the room one time and i was like hey what do you watch and you're like oh it's a show that came out when i was a kid they brought it back like you want to watch i was like sure and then when it started i was like it's kind of dumb like there's fucking dummies these plastic dummies and shit and like i don't understand what this but i but i actually really liked it even though it was cheesy as fuck i loved it and then we've watched ever since Uh, i'm not i'm not up to date yet right now on the jody uh episodes but i'm getting there <clears throat> yeah, I'm. I'm not. I I only got a couple in, and uh, yeah, it's you know, so, and like you, it, it, Doctor Who's supposed to be camp, you know, still have an element of camp, you know, because uh, I was I liked it since I was a kid in the '70s, you know. With a shout out to uh, Tom Baker uh, of yeah. the old series, Tom Baker was the man. So. so yeah, so Eccleston though was like the first Doctor I knew. So at the end of series one, when he goes away, I was like, oh, what the fuck, like fuck this guy, you know, and I wasn't really familiar with regeneration and shit. So I didn't really know that I knew obviously it happened because they had talked about it, but I wasn't, I didn't think it was going to happen then when I was watching it. Uh, Whereas now, you know, they fucking spoil the shit out of it and tell you, you know, Hey, the doctor's going to regenerate this episode. So tune in, you know, Uh, they make a giant spectacle of it. By the time I didn't know it was coming. So I was like, what the fuck? Like, I don't want to watch this new guy bring Christopher Eccleston back. Like, fuck this guy. I'm never going to like this guy. Uh, And then obviously David Tennant became my favorite doctor. So this time when I was rewatching, I almost had a similar feeling where I was like, oh, man, I don't know if like I'm going to like I was like, maybe David Tennant hasn't aged as well as I remember. I was like, but Chris Reckleson's aged really well as episodes, like his performance. I was like, so maybe I was like, am I going to flip? Am I going to like like Chris Reckleson more? And during the Christmas invasion, you know, you're not getting much tenant. And I was like, oh, man, I'm a little nervous about like how I feel about this. And he comes back at the end and I was like, oh, man. Like, it's like a, it's like, I can breathe. It's like a breath of fresh air. So I don't know if that's like a good thing or a bad thing that it it builds some, it builds some tension in you. And so if you're going to like them or not, uh, so it's kind of annoying because you're watching and you're like, I don't give a shit about Mickey and Rose. Like, stop. Like, obviously I care about them, but I'm like, I kind of don't care. I want to see what this guy's like. I want to see the new doctor, like show me the new doctor, get the shit out of the way. So it almost feels like a waiting game of like, yeah, we got to sit through 
them worrying how to do this without the doctor and nothing's really happening for a while. And then he comes in at the end. It's the, it's the anticipation because, uh, you and, know, because especially <laughs> since, you know, you've been waiting since the, the first series ended and uh, you get it and he comes out and he sa- he saves the day as, as usual. And, uh, oh, and he's great. He's great. The second he comes on, he's talking that charisma's back and I'm back to being however old, how old was I like 13. It's like back to being like 13, 14 year old me again, like enjoying him for the first time. Uh, but I would say I actually think Matt Smith's. Uh, switch over is better. Actually, Matt Smith's first episode is fucking awesome. I love his first episode. It's one of the, well, I think it, the it, best uh, regeneration episodes ever. Yeah. I, well, and it's one of the, you know, another reason why I really liked, you know, not just a switch over, but I like season two is because it gave us David Tennant and he became my favorite doctor of all time. Mm-hmm. Though, as I mentioned earlier, I really, you know, on the old series, I love Tom Baker, but, you know, yeah. and I, I see them almost as apples and oranges, you know, the new series with Russell T. Davies, you know, uh, did, but, but Matt Smith was awesome as well. I mean, you you already, you remember the Lodgers, one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I, mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. I still love that episode. But I like that how Rose provided the continuity, continuity between the two series mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I just I just love Russell Russell Davies basically took an uh, an excellent iconic series and made it better you know outside of just talking about the transition so I mean I think it really built up steam for for the series overall the overarching program. Well, yeah I think uh, David Tennant coming along was a great thing uh, but I don't know I don't know if I love Christmas Invasion. <laughs> But uh, it kind of happens, like with my favorite uh, Capaldi's introduction. I'm not. Uh, he, I really don't like his first episode. But by the end, I was like, "Oh fuck! I don't want this guy to go." <laughs> yeah, I, I I grew to like Capaldi quite a bit. A show I liked. Now I haven't finished the full season actually, so maybe I, maybe I'm talking out of place here. But I really liked, uh, and this is you're probably maybe you don't like this. Is I liked how Mr. Robot from season one to two. Like season two just kind of like leaves you in complete darkness about what's going, what happened at the end of season one. Like you don't know shit about like what, like you're, it's almost like you're starting a new show again. You're like, Hey, what the fuck? Like, obviously, you know, you're still with the guy, but his situation has changed dramatically uh, as of the first episode of season two, which I haven't gotten far into season two. So don't, don't say anything. Don't spoil anything. I, I, I finished one and I think I started two and I, I think I, didn't like the start of two and that's when i fell oh. off see that's what i i like season two because it just throws you into like complete chaos and i like that mr robots you know kind of a challenge a show that challenges you i think right. as a viewer and that's what i really appreciated from it uh, i'm gonna cheat a little bit and talk about a show from season two to three it's a bit of a cheat it's not from season one to two i'll allow it uh fringe from season two to three i think was uh, also, kind of a challenging, uh, similar to I think Wire and Mr. Robot, it's a bit of a challenge jumping in. Uh, is, you know, at the end of season two, spoilers for Fringe. I also haven't finished Fringe. <laughs> uh, also, a show I was considering doing a rewatch pod for. Okay, so at the end of season two, Olivia goes to the alternate universe to rescue Peter, and she gets trapped on that side, and they return. So, season three begins with. Uh, her stuck in this alternate universe working for that fringe department while the people from the main group, you know, are working. And so you're seeing the kind of changes as she's working with these alternate versions of people. Well, one guy, I think Lincoln is not in their universe, or at least uh, as far as I got. 
so she's working with like this other group and like, you're kind of like, Hey, what the fuck? Like, are they gonna, are they just like, how long is this going to last? And so it was a really crazy thing to kind of start season three in an alternate universe. And then you're bouncing back and forth uh, between oh, the two. You know, that concept sounds like it would work with a, <laughs> with a, a certain book. Yeah. Well, you know, if you want to, that's a tease between what might've uh, gone down in our Joyland Patreon episode. I, I, have we mentioned Patreon? I, I don't think we've mentioned it hardly at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only three shills an episode, but that's one that I really liked was fringe season two to three was uh, two. I was like, wow, this is crazy. They went to the alternate universe and three. I was like, Oh my God, they're staying like, well, Olivia's staying. I was like, this is fucking crazy that they have to bounce, you know, like what a, what a ballsy move in my opinion. To yeah. That. I was just going to, I was going to say bold <laughs> and uh, it's weird. Cause I'm the more profane of the two of us, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I try to clean up for, uh, for the listeners, but none, nonetheless, no, I agree with you. It, it, it's very bold, ballsy and it takes guts. It's not easy to do it. it you have to be very skillful. Otherwise you turn it into a complete shit show. And, Which I think uh, fringe was skillful. I thought they did a very job. skillful. Yeah. <clears throat> Once again, I didn't finish. Fringe, so don't spoil that I either. Won't, <laughs> you know me, I don't remember half the shit anyways anymore, so you don't have to worry about me spo- spoiling it. Uh, I know ones that was neutral on were like House of Cards and kind of Lost left me kind of being like, eh, like whatever, like feeling moving into the second seasons of those shows. Yeah, I really didn't watch a lot of Lost and uh, yeah, House of Cards. I th- I think I was okay between one and two, but then it started get going off the rails with the other seasons. And yeah, I think the one and two is kind of just like, well, whatever. I don't know. I was just kind of neutral on, on the switch. All right. So yeah, that's just like the shows we were, you know, examples. I thought, like I said, Haven did a great job from season one to season two. No, I, I would agree with you completely. And uh, that's the end of this episode. So you can uncover more secrets of Haven with us in one week. Trouble drops every Monday. So make sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, uh, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Pandora, TuneIn, Deezer. (laughs) And you can even listen out on YouTube. Uh, If you want to contact us, the easiest way to reach us is by email. You can reach us at troubledrewatchpod at gmail.com. If you want the podcast straight from the source, you can visit our website, troubledpodcast.com. Uh, wherever, uh, whenever we upload episodes and put updates, you can find it there. Uh, see what we're up to, uh, any links. If you're having trouble finding links in the show notes and stuff, just visit the website. You can find it there too. But let's say you're on Twitter and want to follow us there. We're also there on Twitter. I've just used the word there like a hundred times. Hope you guys are sick of it. Our Twitter handle is at Havens Troubled with a capital H and a capital T. You can follow us for more Haven related irreverence as usual. Podcasting oh. is fun. What's that? I was going to say, have you developed a method yet for them to contact us via, via carrier pigeon? Not yet, but it's on the way. We got the tin cans with strings uh, for the $10 Patreon members <laughs> that stretch across the country or continents. Continents is a $12 Patreon bonus, just so you guys know. You, you got to scale up because of the costs. Exactly. On the We're on the topic of Patreon. Podcasting is fun. We love it, but it doesn't pay our bills yet. Uh, that's why you can find us on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or if you go to Patreon and search for Trouble to Return to Haven, you can find us. We have three tiers. Joining the first for $1 makes you a Haven tourist, where you'll get access to our production documents. Uh, it's filled with fun behind-the-scenes info, as well as a fan shout-out and a Wu-Tang nickname. Joining our $3 tier makes you a Haven resident, where you will gain access to our bonus series, Trouble with Extra Syrup. 
Uh, we travel outside the confines of Haven to bring you more than you ever thought you needed. We've covered Stephen King books, soundtracks, TV shows, real life events, you name it. Uh, but we always find ways to tie it back to Haven. Lastly, our $5 tiers are Haven's Trouble tier, where you get access to Director's Cuts episodes that'll be dropping uh, here in 2021. We're rolling them out. So uh, you'll also have the option to uh, set up a Zoom call, Q&A type thing if you want. And we can turn it into an episode or production document if you want, if you want people, if you think there's interesting information or you want the world to kind of hear uh, our discussion or anything like that. If you think it'll be entertaining, we can set that up for you. Uh, but I know that's it for me, uh, and we'll be back next week. And thank you for listening. This is Alex French. And this is Rich French wanting to echo Alex's sentiment for uh, thanks for your listenership. We truly do appreciate it. You know, and like I said, if you want one of those Zoom calls, you know, we can block out the video, you know, so that you won't have to go flush out your eyes at an emergency eyewash station after seeing us. But all jokes aside, uh, everyone, thanks again. Please be safe. And please remember, never let your troubles get you down. <laughs>